the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. As I've shared with you in the past, in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observation, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and the transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. I also practice some related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat and helped create another one with my former spouse who was in in the military and retired from the military. As such, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And again, as I was raised by my dad to give back to my community and to our society as a whole, I must say I had the great, great fortune to use as the role models for this giving back aspect. I have, again, the great fortune to spend a lot of time with women that my dad thought were great. That included his own mom and my mother's mother. And I was able to spend a lot of time with these women while I was growing up. And I learned a lot from them 
that I think I'm going to have to put in practice uh, uh, today, and I usually do, and that's because they survived the four great economic challenges of the last century. They lived through the Great Depression, and it looks like we might be looking down the barrel of a recession at the very least. They also lived through the privations of World War II, and unfortunately, they survived and thrived even in a society that had systemic racism and misogyny that continues through and to our society today. And as these women helped raise me and they loved me and they share with me the great stories of their great grandparents and grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, it is out of my great love and respect for these women who were always with me along with my dad, urging me on, uh, and that is to say, to give me the emphasis to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and disabled who find themselves the targets and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial and senior elder abuse that's running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more and more probably these days, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your families or your businesses, financial health, wealth and money related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least a general overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your money or your finances or your assets or your debts. So today we will continue our discussion about our Native American cousins and how and why we must support them in their ongoing fight for their sovereign, political, judicial, economic, and environmental rights. Right here in America, where Indian country is all around us, and I think it's about time we give our first American cousins their long overdue respect. You know, Over the past few weeks, I've shared with you some vital information about the first five Native American women, first five so far, who have been elevated to the federal judiciary to call balls and strikes on motions and evidentiary matters and discovery disputes, and then based on their fair interpretation of the evidence submitted and guided by applicable precedent, issue rationally based decisions, opinions, and judgments on the disputes placed before them without fear or favor on matters of keen importance to all of us, whether we are individual members of the public and that they believe and we believe are important topics. 
Now, I also share with you my impression of a presentation put on by the United States District Court for the Northern District of California entitled the Northern District's 2020 Power Act Panel Using Partnership and Culture to Solve Community Challenges. Uh, amongst our indigenous brothers and sisters who live on tribal lands. The topics included integrating Native American culture into community courts and treatment programs to better achieve better outcomes, leveraging partnerships between tribal, federal, state, and local governments to solve problems more efficiently, and pro bono opportunities within tribal communities in the Northern District of California. And I also shared with you information about how seven, now six, Native Americans who have been elected by members of their overall multi-ethnic communities have come to serve in Congress, to serve us all in Congress. Included in this number are two who are attracting a lot of attention this year, including Deb Holland who before she became President Biden's Secretary of the Interior, first Native American, I might add, she represented her constituents in Arizona. And of course, I spent a lot of time sharing the story of Mary Portola, who is a surprise, who won a surprise victory last month and beat out well-known Sarah Palin in a special election in Alaska to fill out the term of the deceased incumbent to become the first Alaska native and the first Eskimo to be elected to our Congress. Now, just so you know, there is enormous buzz in the indigenous community and their allies over the election of Ms. Portola as well as her grace and humility and commitment to inclusivity and respect for all perspectives since she has won, since she had her big win. So much so that many of us are willing to do whatever we can to help her win a full term this November. Now, that's what I've already talked about. But this past week, I was attending and participating in the 2022 California Lawyers Association annual meeting down in San Diego. I must tell you that I was and remain excited about some of the presentations that I was able to attend, as well as, you know, being asked myself to be part of a panel discussing something known as special purpose acquisition companies, or also known as SPACs. Uh, now, just so you'll know, um, the California Lawyers Association uh, is a member-driven, mission-focused organization that's dedicated to the professional advancement of attorneys practicing here within the state of California. Now, it was established in 2018 as a nonprofit voluntary bar association, and it serves thousands of licensed attorneys throughout California. And it considers itself to be the premier statewide voice of the legal community advocating on behalf of its members before the legislature, the judiciary, and the executive branch, and the state bar of California, which is the licensing and disciplinary regulator of our industry. 
Now, the uh, California uh, Lawyers Association has 18 sections that cover different areas of the law, including a new lawyer section for attorneys that have been in practice for eight years or less. And it enables new lawyers as well as old lawyers like me, the, the organization does as a whole, to thrive by having an opportunity to learn and keep our knowledge afresh and also meet with others who might have a different perspective and, you know, give us a more expansive view. Now, those of you out there that are interested in this organization, especially you young people who are considering becoming a lawyer, you can find out more about the California Lawyers Association at their website, which is located at C-A-L-A-W-Y-E-R-S dot org forward slash C-L-A. That is callawyers.org dot C-L-A. So now when we come back, uh, I'm going to tell you uh, just a little bit more about what went on down at the California Lawyers Association annual meeting and what was most impressive to me. But we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As I continue our discussion about our Native American cousins and how and why we must support them in their ongoing fight for their sovereign, political, judicial, economic, and environmental rights. Right here in America, where Indian country is really all around us. And I say it's about time we give the first Americans their long overdue respect. And I also want to share with you just a wee bit of what I learned this past week as both a participant and a presenter at the California Lawyers Association 2020 Annual Convention that took place in San Diego, California from September 15th through the 17th of September 2022, including a great presentation by some Native American women lawyers about the distortions and similarities and dissimilarities between tribal and non-tribal law and the courts that was so fascinating and illuminating to me. As I shared with you before the break, I was asked to be a part of a panel discussing special purpose acquisition companies. (laughs) That sounds weird, but they're also known as SPACs. At the meeting, I was a panelist at a seminar-type panel discussion entitled Everything You Never Knew You Needed to Know About SPACs. For my part of the presentation, I was asked to prepare material and discuss the dark side of SPACs. And I chose to focus in on the implications of pension funds, such as the California Retirement System, CalPERS, or the Teachers Retirement System of Texas, the TRS, using SPACs as an investment vehicle. But just so we can level set, a special purpose acquisition company or SPAC is a publicly traded corporation with a two-year lifespan formed with the sole purpose of effectuating a merger or a combination with a privately held business 
to enable that privately held business to go public and access more resources from the stock and equities marketplace, also known as Wall Street. Now, SPACs raise money largely from public equity investors and have the potential to de-risk or shorten the initial public offering process that most um, businesses go through for their target companies, uh, often offering them better terms than the traditional IPO would. However, if for any reason the combination does not go through, it doesn't occur within that allotted two-year, up to two-year time frame, the funds raised must be returned to the investors through a process known as redemption. And why we all need to know about SPACs is because a few years ago, the financial investment community fell madly in love with SPACs as a more cost and time efficient means to bring new ventures to the public marketplace than via traditional initial public offerings. However, this year, the SPAC to DSPAC transition, or that is to say completed mergers, are in decline with few, if any, finding likely and amenable marriage partners. And that have or can identify one or more likely targets and either are unable to consummate a marriage or have sustained substantial losses since the deals closed and the new company got bought into being. As such, redemptions by investors are on the rise and they may or may not result in adverse tax consequences for investors in these unrequited SPACs. So I hope I hope that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me, but sometimes I talk to people and they get the glazed over look when I start talking technical terms and when I start talking tax. But that was a presentation that I was part of, and it was very fascinating to the, the bunch of nerds who were in our, our particular uh, uh, presentation. But what again? What was most the most fascinating thing I learned at the convention, at the annual meeting, it was very perplexing that I learned from the seminar entitled The Interdisciplinary Nature of In Indian Law, How It Affects All of Our Practices. And it was presented by three very sharp, knowledgeable Native American female lawyers. Dorothy Antler, who is currently serving as the litigation director of the California Indian Legal Services, and she was previously that organization's executive director, and she was a recipient of the 2010 Pierce Hickerson Award that was granted to distinguish Indian legal services attorneys. And she's also an outstanding, uh, uh, she's one the award for being outstanding achievement in California Indian law awarded from the California Indian Lawyers Association in 2014. She carries a heavy caseload of issues dealing with uh, Indians uh, in, on tribal land. Also on the panel was Tamara Hanukkah. Oh, and um, Ms. Um, Ms. 
Adler is a member of the Ogala Sioux Tribe, and she graduated from the University of South Dakota and earned her JD from Northeastern University. The second member on the panel was Tamara Honora, and she is an enrolled member of the Six Nations of Grand River. They are uh, associated, affiliated with the Mohawk Nation. And she um, has a very extensive background, uh, including the fact that she's currently serves as the 2022 president of the California Indian Law Association. And then finally, there was a judge, uh, Judge Devon uh, Lakamoshia, who is currently the chief judge of the Intertribal Court of the Southern California uh, that ICSC and serves 12 member tribes and numerous other tribes and tribal organizations throughout Southern California. So I'm going into great detail about these women's uh, bona fides because I really want to impress upon young girls, especially young native girls, especially that you too can be a lawyer and make a contribution to your community the same way I want uh, black and brown girls to have people to look up to in the community, people that are doing great things for their community and you for you to consider uh, getting a legal education and then turning that legal education into the tools that you need to support your community and also our society as a whole because we really need all voices at the table, all complexions at the table, all heritages at the table so we can make decisions that are sound and reflect the various perspectives of all of us. Now, what these ladies um, shared with the rest of us that I really did not understand uh, until last week was the fact that the court system treats people who are Native Americans differently than the rest of us. And they treat uh, uh, incidences or crimes or causes of action that occur on tribal lands differently than they, uh, those that occur off tribal lands. And so let me tell you specifically what I learned. There is a public law 280, and it impacts five states. And so the, the 45 states outside of public law 280, they treat crimes and civil uh, causes of action differently. For example, um, in criminal matters, there is concurrent jurisdiction between federal courts, non-tribal federal courts, and non-tribal state courts for crimes where the defendant is a non-Indian, and they are prosecuted in federal court. However, there is concurrent jurisdiction between federal courts and tribal courts for all crimes where the defendant is an Indian. Uh, And so that means that if you are a non-Native who commits a crime on tribal land, you will be treated differently than a Indian who who, uh, perpetrated the same crime on Indian land. And that is something fascinating that I had never thought of. Same with civil. It civil matters. 
All civil matters are heard in tribal court if the cause of action occurred on trust land, that is to say, Indian country, and both parties are members of the tribe. However, if the defendant is not a member of the tribe, in the Ninth Circuit, the defendant can be sued on tribal land and in the tribal court. However, in other circuits outside of the Ninth Circuit, the defendant has to consent to being tried in tribal court or his or her conduct threatened the health, welfare, safety, or political or economic integrity of the tribe. So there is a misjoinder between the way Native Americans are treated on or off tribes and for non-Native Americans are treated on or off tribes that we really need to address. They brought that to the fore, and I want you to know one of the good things that happened last week is now Native American law is a subcommittee of the California Lawyers Association, and it's a committee that I intend to keep track of and continue to share information with you. So we're going to leave it there for now, but as always in closing, here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including putting in place lawmakers and judges and lawyers that reflect our society as a whole, and also addressing the inequity that inequities that have historically limited some of us from having fair and equal access to justice in some courts in this country. Take care. Till next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.